So basically almost all. No, that's very small percentage, Curtis. What? It's seven million of eight and a half billion. <laughs> I guess I guess I'm also bad at spelling. <laughs> <laughs> you could restore it Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my hair guru, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going? <laughs> Hi, Curtis. By the I, way, I, has your hair yeah. grown out, or are you still keeping it short? I am not like some people that are growing their hair just to prove they can grow hair. <laughs> I have had multiple haircuts during COVID, some of which I, two of which I gave myself, two of which I got when things were available to be done. So public. I used to cut my hair all the time by myself. Did you know that? I, d- I didn't know you even cut your hair. <laughs> At, so before I had long hair like this, I had mm-hmm. a quarter inch buzz cut. Get out. I need photos. Yeah. So I would basically be. Picture it didn't happen. Yep. Th- so I would cut my hair. I think it was like every other week. Because it would grow just a little too long. So I bought a set of clippers and I would cut my hair. I have only known you with long hair, so I can't I can't fathom you with a buzz cut. For the record, I once shaved my head. Mm. <laughs> it was when I was in the Navy. Mm. I, I really I need pictures of you with you a buzz pictures. cut. Actually, it's yeah. funny because my wife has never seen me with short hair either. <laughs> she only knows me as someone with long hair. Goodness gracious. Yeah. And now you have the longest of the long. Every every time we do a podcast, your hair gets longer. Yep. I haven't cut my hair in seven months. So yes, it keeps getting longer. Wow. And your beard either too, right? Yeah. The beard have has been you... growing seven months as well. I just, I, just, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I got to see you. Like you're, you're up there in the Bay Area and I'm down here. Like for those of you that don't realize, we, we're hundreds of miles apart <laughs> when we record these podcasts. So I haven't, I have no idea what. So if you look at Twitter, there was yeah. so we, there was VMworld last week, last week, yeah, uh-huh. last week, and right. I did a presentation. So you could actually see what my beard and hair look like. Actually, maybe not the hair because I think it was pulled back, but at least the beard. Right. You you did a like a ponytail or something, or uh, it was just kind of pulled back a little because I think it kept getting in the way of the beard. And the video person <laughs> told me pull the hair back. <laughs> I could see that. Um, by the way, speaking of our day jobs, uh, Prasanna and I do both work with Druva. This is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. Having said that, there's a couple of things coming up that I wanted to mention, one of which is actually the Druva conference, the DXP, which is coming up November 17th. And uh, you can sign up for that at dxp.druva.com. We are going to have several customers speaking, uh, one of which I know is Zoom. And there's also, if you are listening to this on the day of release, it's still, there's still time, which this should publish October 12th. There's still time for you to go to the Women in Tech Conference, which starts tomorrow, October 13th. That's put on by Manning. And uh, so you can uh, register for that at manning.com. There will also be a link in the uh, show notes. And we also have uh, some codes uh, discount codes if you would like discounts on their stuff. So we have that on there as well. And uh, a couple of other 
housekeeping items, please rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And then finally, uh, hopefully you enjoyed, I think that was last, was that Harry the Potter hurricane? last week? Yeah. Yeah. Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah. We had Harry Potter. So Harry Potter right now is working on, he might have Ron Weasley um, coming on. So <laughs> he's talking to the person who went to the island and we might get, you know, literally from the eye of the hurricane. So instead of talking to the guy that knows the guy, we're going to actually talk to the guy. That would be awesome. Yeah. So that'll be, if we do that, that episode will be called the eye of the hurricane um, <laughs> with, as, as a nod to um, Hamilton. You remember the eye of the hurricane song, Yep. which is really cool. The way they do it, the dance is really cool too, with the stuff like floating around him. It's, it literally makes it, it look like he's in the eye of the hurricane. I've actually been in the eye of a hurricane multiple times, and I've been in the eye of a really big hurricane. I was in Houston, Texas, actually Alvin, Texas. Shout out to if there's anybody from Alvin, but it's a tiny little town, so that's probably not the case. But I was with my mother. I was like 13 years old, and she, she and her husband managed an apartment complex, and I worked with him to board up. You know how you board up the windows? Windows, yep. We, we couldn't get enough plywood to board up the whole complex. So what we did was we boarded up the side of the complex that was going to be hit by the wind uh, during the first half of the hurricane. And then you while the, eye of the, the hurricane, we moved it over to the other side. True story. Uh, because it is true. In the eye of the hurricane, it is, you know, it is completely calm. It's, it's like, it's like nothing's going on, but speaking of being the, in the eye of the hurricane, uh, there was, um, this story from Palo Alto network. So they, uh, it's interesting. I didn't really realize I, I wasn't aware of unit 42. So it's Palo Alto, Palo Alto networks, unit 42 threat hunting team. I didn't know that was a thing. I think more and more companies are uh, so I didn't know Palo Alto had one but I'm not uh -huh. surprised because I think more and more companies are doing this. If you look at a lot of the botnets that got taken out by Microsoft and other mm -hmm. things, I think mm -hmm. more of these large companies are having sort of security teams if you will. Mhm. Mm kind of white hats. <laughs> right, white hats, which of course immediately whenever I think about white hat hacking, I immediately go to the movie Sneakers. <laughs> um have have you seen the movie? I have. Uh, I, I think, I think sneakers is a great movie. It, it's fun. It's some of it's a little silly and over the top and total nonsense, but the, the, the way they show how they use social engineering to get into, um, firms, uh, I thought that was really good. And, but yeah, so these guys, they, it says they discovered two critical AWS cloud misconfigurations and, and it said if exploited by hackers, which they weren't. It would have led to a data breach that would cost the customers tens of millions of dollars. So now, obviously, this is you know this is an article about you know Palo Alto Palo Alto Networks got published an article that shows how they save their customers millions of dollars. Right? <laughs> That's the point of this article, right? But uh, I, I think it was really interesting the way in which they. Um, discovered this. And, and the reason why we're talking about it here, you know, we're always talking about protecting customers' data. And that is, th there's a, like a, what do you, what would you call it? Like a 
not a pendulum. What's the word? Like a, a cornucopia. I don't know. I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is. A whole bunch of ways that you do that all the way from the very back end, which is the, the part you really don't want to ever get to, which is, you know, declaring a disaster or, you know, something like that and, and having to actually restore all your stuff. This is all the way on the front end, right? Yeah. It's um, like a layers of defense, right? You want need to protect various layers and not. Where were you? Where were you thirty seconds ago when I was, I was just waiting for you to finish? To be honest, <laughs> you can't stop once you get rolling. So I figure I'll just wait. If you're waiting for me to finish, you're gonna be waiting a long time. Um, but yeah, so th- this is why, even though I do not consider myself a security expert, uh, I play one on the web. We should we should actually get uh, Zoe Rose back on to discuss this one, but. Th- so let's talk about, so they talk about, so there's a couple of different things here that we'll just define for people that aren't necessarily into this sort of thing. So they talk about IAM roles. So do you want to define that for us? Yeah, this is basically what AWS uses to say who can get access to what resources, and you could do it at a very granular level. And it's mm-hmm. super powerful because you could say, okay, Mr. Backup, you only have access to this resource in this account and only these specific operations. So it allows you to make it very granular or um, not as granular as you want, depending on what you're looking to do. Right. Which is way better than the old days where your your, your access was basically defined by where a username and password was, right? And what and what level you had. So and 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 again, back in the day. You either had, I'd say, one of three levels of access on a on a Unix system. For example, you super would have user. Just, well, super users one, well, literally zero, right? It was UID zero, and then just below that would be a similar level of access, like you were if you could SU to Oracle, right? If you could log in as Oracle, so you might have a common ID. That's not as powerful as root, but it might as well be in the Oracle world. And then there's a whole bunch of things like that. And then, of course, the regular user, which had really only power to do things over to do things in your little world. But I like this here. So what you have is we can say that Persona is allowed to do these three things on this you know, service, these two things on that service. And we can define specifically what you as an as an identity, what you're allowed to do. And then you. Uh, then the then the authentication is a different process, right? It's so all part. Once, of, yeah, so you would. It's have all like, part of it, right? Yeah. yeah. So you would have AWS users or something else that, like in this case, like myself, I would be an AWS user, and the account holder would say, "Okay, this AWS user persona gets access to these resources with this permission." And then when I log into the account or try to access one of those resources through whatever mechanism is possible, it'll do the authentication and check and see, okay, do I have access to do what I'm trying to do? And you can also, don't they also have the concept of roles where you can, you can say this role is, is able to do these 10 things and then you can assign a person multiple roles? Yeah, so you can also use roles to access resources you may normally not have access to. So mm-hmm. you can assume a role to obtain like temporary security credentials to make API calls, for instance. 
but it gotcha. doesn't necessarily mean that long term you have access to that. It's just for a temporary purpose. So you can okay. do what they and call assume a role. Is right. Kind of what about. Which is which is what we ended up talking about here because we're going to get to the assume role in a minute. So th- I just wanted to just generally define what IAM was, identity access management, right? Yeah. And then there also GitHub figures into it. Now, uh, you know, you and I live in a world where GitHub, like everybody knows what GitHub is, but <laughs> just in case a listener doesn't know what GitHub is, you do you want to describe that? Source repository? <laughs> Yeah, right. a um, source control repository where basically it's a place that for people who are writing code instead of having something local that they're then managing, okay, I need to back it up. Here's all my code for my application. And if I need to share it with someone, how do I do all of that? GitHub is basically an online code repository that you can upload code to. Other people can check it out. You can grant access to it um, and you can set permissions on there. Right. And we'll get to those permissions in a minute. I did just have a flashback, though. Um, so, you know, as we talked about in previous broadcasts, I'm in the process of writing my next book. The last time I wrote a book, um, there's often when you write a technical book, you have technical editors, right? Not just grammatical editors. You have technical editors. Um, and you you hand your work over to someone and, and they read it and they go, well, this, you know, you, you were wrong on this technical issue. And I, I have, I don't know, right now in this book, I think I have like 20 or so. Um, and the way we did it back in the day, because, you know, if you look at old school, I was using Word back in the day <laughs> for my last book. And the way you did it back in the day, the problem was you can't just pass your Word document around willy nilly. You need to control access to, to the doc, to different documents at, you know, different times. And you, you didn't want more than one person editing a given document at the same time. Right. And, uh, and so the way we did it back in the day, we actually used RCS. Um, I don't know. Did you ever use old school RCS? Yep. I did use RCS. So I had a Linux, uh, based RCS system built into, we actually had it, it was running on backupcentral.com. And I, I uploaded all my Word docs into my personal repository. And then I, I re, I'm trying to remember. It's been a you while. You granted access to your well, reviewers. I, the, the, it was really security by obscurity, right? I remember <laughs> that if you, if you, there was a form. If you went there and you entered your email address, um, it would find a chapter that wasn't currently checked out check it out in your name and email it to you as an attachment. Mm. And then you came back to the website when you were done, you uploaded the, the word doc. And of course you were supposed to track changes. You uploaded the word doc, it would check it back in and then it would send you the next chapter that, you know, that you, and, and, and we did all of that. That was all, you know, essentially the source code of the book uh, <laughs> because we didn't have GitHub. <laughs> yeah. because And you didn't have Google. Yeah, that's what I was saying. We didn't have Google Docs because I'm doing I'm doing um, this one in Google Docs at this point. By the way, having 20 people edit my Google Docs uh, version of the book way easier. <laughs> 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 the only the only annoyance is the ridiculous number of you know notifications that I get from Google, right? Because you, for those of you that have never edited a Google Doc uh, and had somebody else edit your doc, is 
every time they make an edit, you get this little like email notification. Bing, it's bing. Yeah, bing, yeah, bing, yeah. Um, so it says that they found a couple of things, right? So they found a misconfigured IAM role trust policy, right? So we talked, we were talking about roles earlier, and um, and then there is this concept of assume role. So w- what would that mean? Like, so it, it, what exactly? How could it be misconfigured? Do you so think? I think they, they the, don't really go into the details yeah. obvi- for obvious reasons. But so, like I mentioned, I am roles are very powerful, uh-huh. and what you could put inside a policy. Now the problem is because it's so powerful. Depending on what you do, you might forget to do something that you should have done. Like you might grant access to a resource that you shouldn't have allowed or you might have assuming like the assume role that they're talking about here right that they might have left that exposed accidentally and therefore someone could use it explain what you mean there what what do you mean they might have left it there accidentally so in the sense that you might have been using this either for testing purposes or someone might have written a development script that they wanted to do some testing against. And so they might have used this permission as a test mechanism. Now, I don't know exactly what happened in this case, right? Right. but they might have used the assume rule. And after they're done, they may have forgotten to turn it off, right? Or disable this permission. So on a given role, you can you can enable or disable this concept of assume role, and it sounds like maybe they didn't disable it. Maybe, maybe that's what happened. Yeah, it is could that what be. you're saying? Yeah, that. It I mean, there's there's gives, different there's there's a thousand different ways I think that you can misconfigure. Yeah. And so basically, assume role is almost like you can escalate your privileges. Right. It, it's like it's the it's the AWS version of SU. Yeah. Basically, for well for. <laughs> For the for the Linux and Unix people among us, the Windows people, it's the open as administrator. <laughs> yeah. And the other problem, too, is like open with administrator, you're on the box, right? With AWS, I can even do this sort of thing from across accounts as well. Yeah. Right. So it's not even just within an account. So, for instance, if you had a developer who was testing out something in their own account, they might have used an assume role in the production account or wherever else and still had access and then forgot to turn it off, right? So it's not necessarily that everything is within the one account to start with. Uh, yeah, so so there are ways that you can misconfigure things that may make it helpful. And so I guess one one lesson is here to, to, is to try not to do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, try, d- during development, try really hard not to use this concept of assume role or other similar ideas on production data. I think you just need to make sure you're too soft on the developers. (laughs) From the developer perspective, yes, I agree that you probably don't ever want to do this. I think though there are going to be cases where you have to use IAM roles and assume role just to in order to get things done. I think though there should be checks in place to make sure that they are strictly followed and they're scoped down to granting the least privilege access. Yeah, th- that, that's a really important, I, I guess if I rephrase my, I'm not saying don't ever use assume role. I'm saying don't ever take the quick way to do this that potentially leaves you open, right? D- yeah. d- does that make sense? That's, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense. And then I think the other point also is you really should have an automated process for doing this. Don't rely yes. on someone logging into an account to then do the assume role 
right? Or to grant the assume role and then hoping that they come back later after they're done to remove it, right? <laughs> you right. really should have something as part of your DevOps process to make sure that this is audited, this is tracked, there are checks put in place that the right things are happening, that things can be changed again later when they're decommissioned, et cetera. And by the way, for the, for the anti-cloudies among us, because we do have a few out there, um, this isn't a cloud problem. This is just the latest version of this problem. I remember I worked at a consulting company a hundred years ago. <laughs> I worked at a consulting company who had, among other many hundreds of clients, they had a number of large like financial trading firms as clients. And one day th- there was an issue at one of our large, you know, like, like just randomly think of a, of a, you know, like a stock trading firm. And you might think of the, like it's, it was a pretty big company and there was some kind of problem and a former employee of our company got notified because he left in like some sort of trigger for him to be notified if this bad thing happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's say if the database is down or something, right? So he got notified and he was still in the system and he logged in and fixed the problem. <laughs> and so it was a benign back door, but we were all like, wait, what? You, st- you still have backdoor access to this multi-billion dollar trading company <laughs> let's go do a project to make sure that no one has because i think he had like um uh you know dial-in access this was you know Back like i said day. 100 years yeah. of, you know he had dial-in access in the whatever their their remote access system was and he still knew the either had his his accounts were still active in the in the data center and he still was able to, he, I guess we hadn't changed the root password or something, right? That is bonkers. So there's just a whole bunch of things. That, yeah. So this is what I'm saying. This is not, this is not a new problem. This is not a cloud. This is not, oh, look at, once again, cloud is insecure. This is just the latest way to screw up your security. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, definitely. And in yeah. fact, I think in the, in the article around uh, one of the Palo Alto Networks folks was saying, if you don't know who has access to what, just take away everything and see who complains. You know, that reminds me, um, I don't know, it's just my day for old stories. It reminds me, we had my my first, what we thought of as a super supercomputer, and this is a really old story. We had AT&T 3B, we had an AT&T 3B 4000. Any super old people here go, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, a 3B2 was, and a 3B2 was the, was, the first computer built specifically for Unix. So 3B2-4000 was the first attempt at a multi-processing architecture. Mm-hmm. And we had this really big, really expensive system that we were going to decommission. And um, we kept trying to find the various apps that were running on it. And eventually that's that's what we had to do. Again, nothing is, nothing is everything new is old again. Everything old is new again. There you go. That's <laughs> everything old is new again. Uh, so basically, in the end, we had to just turn it off and see who called and complained. So yeah, th- I, I like that. If you don't know who has access, just turn everything off. Now, you might have some serious ramifications there. Sure. 
especially if what we're talking about is um, production. <laughs> right. But I, I would argue that maybe you only do it for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. right? Or maybe only for those accounts where there's like a lot of permissions that they have. Yeah. Right. GitHub also figured into the story here. Uh, so, uh, so before we go on to GitHub, what, what did they actually, what were they actually able to do here? I think they were able to actually get into the account mm -hmm. and then because of a misconfigured IAM role, they were able to actually escalate their access and basically yeah. get admin access into the account. And I believe it said this allowed them to do things like create new EC2 and RDS instances and modify user and policy permissions. Um, once you do that, once you're creating new accounts and new policy permissions, and you know, you can just basically all off. yeah, <laughs> yeah, all about yeah, <laughs> might as well just just shut the system yeah. down and go home at that point. Um, they could execute and ransomware, right? There's all sorts of stuff, right? Um, once you have super user access. Uh, so yeah, so, and so they were able to go both up and laterally, yeah. right? Cause they also did that, right? Yep. Which is um, crazy. <laughs> yeah. A again, th based on the size of these companies, it's very similar to what we had happen back then, right? Here, th here's this company that you would think should know better. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I and I, I've I've been in and out so many customer accounts over the years. Not not Druva customer accounts, but but you know people that I used to consult with. But uh, and I'd go in and I'd be there to install, let's say, NetBackup. And I, I don't know if I've told this story before, but um, I was at a clothing company, <laughs> <laughs> and I I was sent to install NetBackup. And the guy opened, the guy took me to the data center, which was not a big data center. It was literally like, I don't know, maybe 500 square feet. But he, he, he walked up to the door and he's like, you know, five, three, seven, nine, that's the code for the door. And then he's like, the root password on all those systems is Elvis. And the root password on all those systems is Apollo. Uh, let me know when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> if you have super user, you know, like you said, all bets are off. Yeah. Um, I don't know why this is like my day for stories. <laughs> so with the GitHub, I think just rolling all the way back to where we started from, the thing with GitHub is people use it for uploading their source code, but just like what we talked about with IAM role and access and things like that, sometimes they forget to secure their account and then it becomes available to everyone. And as a developer, sometimes you might take a shortcut and say, oh, I just need to get this working. And you might add in like an API key into your uh, code or there might be your KMS encryption keys. And I think that they actually went and scoured GitHub and found thousands and thousands yes, of potentially vulnerable accounts as well by that mechanism. Yeah, they, they made a point of saying, listen, we did not white hat hack anybody other than our actual clients, but they did go and I think I think they tried to find new clients. Yeah. <laughs> so they went, and there's like, oh, by the way, there are, you know, thousands. Uh, what did they say? Uh, I'm looking for the number here. Yeah, it says they, we, we, we revealed more than 175,000 EC2 snapshot, hundreds of S3 buckets, and many RDS snapshots and KMS keys, just like you said. 
Um, now, yeah, go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to say, yeah, but the one thing like AWS released, I want to say it was last year, was before S3 buckets by default would be public and it was up yeah. to you as a user to turn it off. But now by default, everything is locked out. So there's no public access, right. which I think is trying think to great. combat some of this, right? right? Just user error or user forgetting to do something. Previous Unit 42 research found 65% of cloud security incidents were due to what? What do you think? Considering what we've been talking about, it's probably like doing something incorrectly. It's probably not malicious. Yeah. Right? So it's simple, simple misconfigurations. Right. It says IBM X forces. I, I guess that's a similar group. Uh, their annual threat report published in February found that of the more than 8.5 billion records breached in 2019, 7 million of them were due to misconfigured cloud servers and other improperly configured systems. So basically almost all. No, that's very small percentage, Curtis. What? It's 7 million of 8.5 billion. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'm also bad at spelling. <laughs> So that's actually a small percentage. Okay. It is, but it's things that could be avoided, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right, and this is also things that you don't even know about that have that are out there and misconfigured. The NSA says misconfiguration is the most prevalent cloud vulnerability. And I think part of the problem is cloud platforms are so powerful and so flexible, but it's also so easy to make a mistake, like these misconfigurations. And I think, though, that's where the cloud providers are trying to help you in automating and understanding some of these issues. I'm sure Palo Alto Networks has tools that'll identify, look at your cloud network and your cloud infrastructure and help you identify gaps. But I think it's going to become more and more important as more workloads are moving to the cloud and more production applications and data is being stored in the cloud. I think making sure it's secure and not misconfigured becomes critical. Yeah. and And I think about that. And again, you know, I don't want to beat the Druva drum too loudly here, but boom, we're boom, not the only, <laughs> we're not the only ones that do this. But there is an argument to be made here. This is this is a value that you get when you use a data protection as a service company, right? There are now a handful of companies that are doing it the way we're doing it. You know, meaning that you you interact with a website and you don't you're not responsible for configuring the backend security mechanisms of, of where your data is stored, right? But there are a whole bunch of other companies, the bulk of the rest of the industry, that if they support using the cloud as a resource, they support it by you configuring everything and then installing their stuff there. Yeah. Could you imagine, um, forget about data protecting, could you imagine if Salesforce said, by the way, here's a piece of software that you can deploy on your own cloud and manage it and deal with all the security? Could you imagine that? <laughs> I think it's the reason why they were ultimately so successful, right? I actually used, I'm trying to, th- I think ACT was the name of the software that we used. We used a CRM when I had my own company. We had a CRM software. I think it was called ACT. And it was it was a piece of software that ran on a Windows laptop. And it, it, it created a database, as I make quotes in the air, which was a file on your laptop. <laughs> and then we wanted to share it between multiple people. So what we did was we used Dropbox to sync that database file to other people's laptops to give them access. But no more than one person could use the database, the database. at one time. <laughs> and then sometimes if you didn't have the syncing just right, then uh, you would, you know, you would 
you would get data integrity problems, right? And we'd have to restore the database and start all over again. So yes, I very much can understand the joy that you would have to do if you're managing something like Salesforce. Or And there are a lot of people, for example, that are still managing Exchange, but in a cloud environment, mm-hmm. right? They, ha- they ha- I don't know why they would at this point. Why I don't know what value you get by running Exchange in a VM in the cloud. What does that give you that, Office, you know, Microsoft 365, which they now call it, what does that give you that that doesn't, other than that illusion of control? Yeah. Yeah. But I I guess to to go back to the the backup part, if if you're using one of these products that has like a cloud out functionality where you give them your S3 privileges uh, or, you know, not just S3, you know, you can go to Azure Blob or wherever, you put in your appropriate permission. You create an S3 bucket, you put in the appropriate missions, appropriate IAM role, and then they send your backups to S3 on your behalf. Or you might be running in a VM, right? Or a series of VMs that use block storage. And maybe you also use S3, but those are VMs that you control and manage and you're responsible for all the security. I guess I'm just saying that that way, while there are some advantages, I, I'd say the biggest advantage is if you already like the backup software that you have, you know, you can keep it, but run it in a VM. Or you can, mm-hmm. if you don't, if you want to get rid of your Iron Mountain account and you'd rather copy to S3 instead of handing tapes to a man in a van, then, you know, I, I see the S3 advantage there. But I, I guess I'm just saying that think about, because these are now your crown jewels, right? Your backups contain everything. They contain all your data and your historical data. And if this had been backup data that they were talking about, they didn't specify whether it was primary or backup data. But if it was backup data, you have both, you know, current and historical information on the company. And so it it needs to be more secure than anything else. And uh, if you're the one configuring the S3 bucket or whatever it is you're using, then all of that responsibility is on you. And so that's why for... Customers that, you know, our model doesn't work for everybody, but for customers that it does work for, I think it's a much more secure alternative than what we see happened with uh, this Palo Alto Networks customer. I agree. I wasn't exposed to the cloud much before I joined Druva, but after, because I used to be on that side thinking, oh yeah, cloud, it's just, you get an S3 bucket, it's easy, or you're just running compute. And then once I joined, and then you start thinking about all the complexities of accounts and IAM roles and VPCs and all these various services and how they all connect together and private link and direct connect. And I can throw out like 50 more terminology just for AWS, right? Mm -hmm. This doesn't even think about GCP and other aspects. And it's very complex. Mm -hmm. And I think trying to manage that does get complicated and to make sure it's secure 24 by 7 and that there are all the automated processes in place, you need a process in your company to make sure that, yes, everything that's going out the door is checked off and is done the right way based on the best practices, which is, by the way, it's constantly shifting, right? Right. As AWS is releasing new features, as new services are available, right? The best practices are constantly evolving. And so you have to keep up with that. Do they they release new features very often? Uh... (laughs) No, not really. <laughs> Joking aside, yeah, but it's it is quite daunting trying to just keep up with that. So right, right, and I'm sure there are probably SaaS services that will look at as a service 
right? Like security as a service, but not like a firewall, but something that looks at your AWS configuration on a regular basis or your Azure configuration or GCP configuration, et cetera. Look at it on a regular basis and see if anything like this is, is happening to you. And, and if you are using a cloud resource, I, I think I would recommend looking into things like that. Are you aware of any, the names of any of those types of products? So Amazon has a service, which they called guard duty, which kind of looks at who has access to what is there unauthorized behavior happening in your accounts or your workloads or any data you have stored in S3 and tries to, or it notifies you if it detects anything that seems malicious. So I think they're trying to help you by looking at what's going on and giving you that proactive visibility. Azure has uh, Azure Advanced Threat Protection to do something similar for that. Um, I'm wondering if there is a third-party service that would look at all of your, you know, because a lot of people are multi-cloud. And and I'm not anti-multi-cloud, but I want to reiterate, when you're multi-cloud, it's just like being multi-platform. All of these things are now, you know, the hundreds of things you have to keep track of in AWS or Azure or GCP. The, if you're using all of those and you have to keep track of all those things in all those accounts. So it does increase your complexity. Uh, so make sure that you're factoring that in um, when you're looking at a multi-cloud approach. All right. Well, um, I think we beat this topic to death and um, back it up or give it up. That's what <laughs> I always say. So just a reminder, uh, remember to check out this week's Women in Tech Conference that is on the 13th and 14th. It's, uh, you can read about that at manning.com and register for the upcoming DXP conference. With uh, It's a virtual half-day conference with Druva, which is coming up November 17th. And you can see that at dxp.druva.com. And uh, make sure to rate our podcast at ratethispodcast.com. And if you've got an interesting story, we'd love to have you on. We won't use your real name. We won't use your company's name. And we'll disguise your voice to make it interesting. Uh, Thank you to the listener. And make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit.
run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe one day